welcome to Sam Culture. Oh, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have an intro. Yeah, it's really warm in here. Welcome to STEM Culture Podcast. Today we're talking about navigating bureaucracy with Danny, uh, which is me, and Zach. That's me. Uh, this episode is to remind people that change comes from within. Except for that nickel you ate as a kid. You're never going to see that again. Welcome back from break, everyone. We hope you had a break. Um, we did. I did. I went home to California. What about you, Zach? At the time of recording, I have no idea what my plans are. Why are you doing this to me? We're pretending We're like pretending. we just came I, back. <laughs> I went home to visit my family or something, another. Y'all or I stayed in my apartment, secluded myself from everyone and played video games. Choose your own story. Oh, dear. Y'all, it's mid-December, so we actually haven't been home yet. But we hope you had a good break. This is the first episode since 2019 happened. Do you awkwardly want to talk about what your resolution is? My resolution is to graduate. <laughs> and uh, that's also my resolution. I still have to publish, too. That, too. <laughs> Just we all a do. minor thing. We all do. <laughs> all right. Well, we are resoluting to graduate and to write papers. If you want to send us your resolutions, contact us via Twitter. So I want to dis- uh, provide a disclaimer for this episode. We are not experts. Uh, this episode is going to discuss navigating bureaucracy from our point of view, but truthfully, there are many, many ways to do this. And what we're going to discuss, this works for us. Um, and we want to hear how you navigate bureaucracy. So you can tag us on Twitter at stemculture, one word, or you can email us at stemculturepodcast at gmail.com. Hey. So first definitions, what is bureaucracy? And bureaucracy is defined by dictionary.com as excessive multiplication of and concentrations of power in administrative bureaus or administrators. Also, bureaucracy is a really hard word to spell. And spell check won't help me. That's how badly I spell it. But I've learned now. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned now. So with that definition, uh, we do want to say there's a few bureaucracy kinds of bureaucracies we're not going to get to. Um, they're really going to have their own episodes. So bureaucracy when it comes to accommodations. So um, like if you have a learning difference or you physically need help with something, uh, that's going to be its own episode. That's that's really nuanced um, and will actually come up in our next in STEM episode. There's also going to be a Title IX bureaucracy that will also have its own episode. And then also bureaucracy when it comes to your PI, your advisor, your mentor, um, that will also have its own episode. So we won't really touch on those uh, for this episode specifically. Also, I'm going to say episode like 15 more times. Episode. 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 This episode is brought to you by... Episode. (laughs) Episodes. Okay, so briefly... Zach, in what ways have you navigated bureaucracy? So I work on kind of the uh, professional development end of STEM. And so my job is to make sure that graduate students get the proper training and education they need for whether they're teaching as a first year or teaching as a fifth year, and also those who are graduating and leaving to find a position in industry, government, or academia. So in order to do this, I put together two workshops with the help of multiple people. I won't mention their names because there's a lot. And so um, in order to do this, though, I had to work together, send a bunch of emails, get everyone coordinated, and try to get them all to agree to say, hey, we do need this. We need to get this accomplished one way or another. And it just takes time and effort to do that. And so that's working with multiple departments, including maybe 
for one training, we did the all first years in the graduate school in STEM. That's six departments all in a single building. And we had to work to get them all to greet and go, hey, yeah, we'll meet you on that day. It's going to be a half-day workshop. Let's get it over. And then others are for students graduating and going to a lecture position. And that required multiple departments and efforts to work together so that we had the best resources available to help us with this. Nice. How have you done? <laughs> <laughs> How so, have you navigated bureaucracy in the past? So I've navigated bureaucracy in kind of the same, similar how to how you have, where you have to not only figure out like who you need to speak to, but they might be in different departments. They might be in different buildings. They might, they might be at the department level, or they might be at the graduate school level, or they might be at the university level. So for me, I've also... Um, done some workshops, organized some speaker seminars, and it's interesting because some are easier than others. It just depends on how many people I have to go through and how much experience I've had going through it. So I uh, work with a women in science and engineering group, and so creating workshops and speaker seminars within that group is really easy because I don't even really need to get the graduate school's approval because what we're doing is just creating space for workshops and creating space and times and getting building space to have speaker seminars. So that's um, over time has become quite easy. But then starting organizations, which I have helped start a couple, that takes a lot more organization. Um, and then sometimes, um, depending on what kind of organization we're trying to start, if it's at the departmental level versus at the graduate school level, um, that makes them easier or harder. PS is harder at the department level. <laughs> really? I didn't expect that. I figured yeah. going higher up a tier would take more time. Yeah, no, it, it definitely took much more time to get it started in our department, uh, which I'll talk about a little bit more late, later, which is kind of bizarre. <laughs> so how do you get involved in bureaucracy but still get your research done? So that's a really tough one, and I didn't get involved in bureaucracy until after my first full year, and actually through my first semester of my second year. So a full year and a half into my PhD, and I hadn't gotten involved in anything yet. Um, and when I started getting involved, it was because I, I really felt strongly about getting involved and wanting to do these, these things. So especially when creating... Um, our own uh, science communication organization. Um, that took a lot of time to get off the ground and get started. But for me, it was really worth it. So I ended up actually putting more hours. Let's see. You know, so I would do my PhD things. So do my research stuff. And then I would work extra hours on these other endeavors. So the question that I ask myself is, is everything I'm doing now something I have to do? And the answer, of course, is no, I don't have to be doing everything that I'm doing now, but do I still want to do everything I'm doing? And if the answer is yes, then I keep doing it. But if I do need help, and this is something I've really learned the past year, is that if I need help, I need to learn to ask for it. And because these organizations I've started with other people and now other people are involved, if I need help, if I need a week's grace in anything, I have people to ask and help me in that. What about you, Zach? 
So for me, there's kind of what I call the scheduling triangle, and this is a really bad example, and you shouldn't do this. You consider yourself more important, but I've always used it, which is there are three points to a triangle. Of those points, it is sleep, extracurriculars, and research. <laughs> you can only choose two, though. So which do you pick that day, that week, however you're doing it? I normally just kind of drop sleep to the wayside because I just I love caffeine so much. And I like that jitteringness. I'm almost to the point where I could jitter through solid objects, but I haven't reached it yet. <laughs> but what I've done is I'll look at scheduling and a lot of emails. That's how I function for all of this, as I mentioned earlier. Scheduling is, okay, I have a calendar. I don't even make decisions without looking at my phone anymore. If somebody says, hey, can you do this? I'll be like, mm, calendar's full, can't make it, sorry. Or, <laughs> yeah, I have a slot open. But when it comes to actual like scheduling and working on this, I will say, okay, well, I've got to do this research today during these hours when everyone's in the building and I have time to do it. Or I'll do kind of, I wouldn't say busy work, but I'll work on kind of side projects during the day because I know every now and then I might be interrupted by someone else asking me a question or needing help on something. And then at night when it's really quiet in my office or lab space, I get everything else I need to get done. And then I kind of fluctuate in my hours of when I start for the day. So if I'm working really late at night, I might not start at 8 o'clock in the morning the next day. I'll start at 10 or 11 whenever I can get in and wake myself up. But it all comes to mainly keeping a schedule together. And if you feel that you're overbooked, then you need to start dropping something behind. Like Jenny always asks, is this something that I need to be doing right now? And if it's not something that's absolutely required in your time, drop it and come back to it later. Yeah, remember your your best friend is the word no and I need mm. help. So I guess that's more words than just one. Yeah, <laughs> your best friend or your best friend. Uh, the <laughs> Best phrase is no, and Danny can attest to this. I don't know that word very well. Zach's bad at it. I'm real bad at it. I think it's genetic. So it's just a lot of, oh, yeah, I can help you with that, and then a lot of internal screaming of a voice going, no! <laughs> so you just got to be really good at time management. I know that when I started in grad school, I was kind of given the expectation of, like, you don't have, like, a part-time or full-time job. You're expected to be researching, teaching, and working 60 hours a week. That does include the weekend. However, you might be spending maybe 16 hours one night in a lab, and then the next day you're only in the office for four hours because you're catching up on sleep or just taking time to yourself to write in a quiet location. And that's something you should communicate with with others. It's like, okay, I need to be flexible with this. And that's kind of a conversation you have with your PI or your lab mates just saying, like, I'm unavailable at these times. Mm -hmm. I'm either working on research or I'm working on another project. And you just need to make sure that everyone else understands that when this is slotted, you're occupied. Yep. I have a note on my desk that says, this is my writing time. Please do not disturb. If I get distracted, you may throw something at me. <laughs> I've only been hit once. Oh, that's good. I dodged the others. <laughs> For my writing group, I literally have to leave my office space. Otherwise, it's too distracting. You should do that, too. I'm not going to make a comment on that because I, I was in that writing group for, like, two weeks, and then I just get distracted. Yeah, Zach doesn't. Well, it's also in the morning, and you didn't do mornings. Oh, I hate mornings so much. <laughs> I don't like seeing the sunrise. I like it to be setting when I'm conscious. Yeah, you're or the night owl. right above me. <laughs> yeah. So, Zach, what do you do if you want to change something in the department or in the university? So, in my experience, everybody loves a proposal. I know STEM loves proposals when it comes to grant funding and all sorts of stuff like that. So I've been asked repeatedly to put a proposal together stating why we need it, how we're going to implement it, 
what in this case are the funding required to do it so what money is required to get say a workshop off the ground and then what resources are needed so who needs to be involved do we need a room do we need a tv all that jazz and everything you need put together in one and that way when you present it to somebody there's not any extra questions of like oh how will you manage this how will you do this you can say oh it's in proposal chapter not chapter they're never that long <laughs> thank the lord no. so i've written three different proposals three of which were all created with a lot of effort and again it's not just me my MO is to find other people who think that this is the same problem that everyone has or multiple people have. And the more people you toss onto it to kind of give it that reinforcement, kind of like signing a petition is we're in favor of this. You should be in favor of it too. Danny, what do you do if you want to change something in the department or university? So the way Danny functions, yes, I'm going to talk about myself in the third person. I don't know. <clears throat> so the way I function is I get really angry about something and then Daddy I smash. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> but I get really angry about something and then I want to do something. And I didn't know um, immediately like Zach did about writing out a proposal, writing out an idea. Um, the way I first started trying to get things changed um, at the department level first was I thought I could just go to the leaders in our department, um, and I mean like administration, and tell them my super great, amazing idea. Now, the problem is that it was just my idea, and I didn't have any input from the other graduate students or anybody else. And so those ideas never came to fruition, even if the administration liked them. So that was a bad first approach. <laughs> But now I know that if I want to get something done in my department, I really need to chat with the other graduate students first and really get other people on board besides me. Because it might just be I have this idea, but it's a shitty idea. That's absolutely possible. So other graduate students can really help me figure out if it's a good idea. They can contribute to the idea and we can really come up with this proposal that Zach was talking about. Um, at that point, once we have a proposal, um, you might want to get some other people besides graduate students on board. And so this is when you can bring faculty on board um, or somebody in the administration and see if they like your idea. So then comes the other part of who do you talk to first in your department? Because there's a lot of people that have something to do with graduate school or with being a graduate student in your department. So you have to figure out what that hierarchy is. Um, so it might be talking to, if you have a graduate program director, or if you have a chair of your department, um, it's kind of like, who do you talk to first? So um, in our department, it's kind of talking to the graduate program director first because it's all graduate student stuff. And then um, if they like the idea, the proposal, then we can bring it to uh, the chair as a next step. Okay, so... <laughs> Once you've done that, um, you might actually need to be the person that goes and talks to the chair. So then you talk to the chair, and if then they like the idea, then you can start implementing it. But really, you're still probably doing a lot of the work, but now you're doing it with the support of your department, which makes a big difference because their support might mean the difference between getting your idea going and, and it falling flat. Now, if it's at the university level, um, this is what I was saying earlier with Zach, it, I find it a lot easier, at least at our university. So if I 
have an idea or like we had this idea to have a science communication organization that's run by graduate students for graduate students where we go out into the community, uh, K to 12 schools. We also go to after school groups and we go to museums. Uh, and we wanted to get this supported by the graduate school so that we could uh, start getting other graduate students involved and going out in the community with us. And that took two meetings and it was done. And it took us like a week to actually make like bring everything together and talk with each other and get it going forward. And that was really easy. We had to talk to two people, <laughs> <laughs> which was which was amazing. And so that's perhaps the quirks of our university. But that made it really easy to get that going. So for that, I'm wondering, how many people did you have already behind you for that? Did you approach it as just you, or did you have a group of graduate students or others who, and maybe even a faculty member already who were like, I'm in support of this, let's move it forward? Yeah, so this idea was really uh, brought up probably most publicly by Kaylee, who's also on the podcast. And she had actually posted on Facebook about it to see if there are other graduate students that were interested in joining her in this endeavor. And so myself, um, our friend Ankin, and our friend John Su uh, joined us in that endeavor. And the four of us came up with kind of how we were going to organize this, what we had based this program off of. And when we actually met with somebody first, it was our graduate program director because we were all in the same department just by accident. And so he was kind of like, well, this sounds like a great idea, but I am just in the biology department. And if you want this to be broad to all graduate students or maybe all STEM graduate students, then you probably need to bring it to the graduate school. And so we did. And so we had a meeting with the graduate school and we told them what we wanted to do and if we could be kind of housed within the graduate school because we did not want to be a student organization because that's a lot harder. <laughs> There's a little bit more regulation that comes with that. Yes. And you might fall under maybe a different department or director for that. And so it's better to try to umbrella yourself where you're more easily accessible, especially if you're going to be kind of not necessarily a club, but an organization. Yeah. And so this gave us a lot more freedom to be within the graduate school itself. Um, and really, by the end of the meeting, the question was, OK, well, what are you asking from the graduate school? And all we were asking for was their blessing. At that point, we weren't asking for any money. But all we were asking for was legitimacy. So we wanted to be able to say that our university's graduate school supports our endeavors. And that ended up making it much easier to get partners down the road, uh, like schools that wanted us to come and join them. Um, of course, it's been a year and a half since we started the organization. And now we're kind of going back and asking for more stuff. But now we have the stats behind what we're doing for them to be to actually want to give us more besides just legitimacy and um, one little website page. Yes, and that's that's what you just mentioned there is stats, and those are very important. important. Those are very <laughs> important when you're dealing with a larger organization or department on your campus. They want stat statistical information to show that what you're proposing is worth it or to show that what you're trying to fix is an actual problem. Mm -hmm. So if you can go in and say, hey, I ha had an event this semester hosted by my department that worked really well. I think this would be very beneficial for the entire university or maybe all of the STEM students. How do we get that pushed forward? Mm -hmm. And as long as you can say, here's some of the feedback we got. So say you're working kind of with a small organization 
that's maybe science communication. If you have a bunch of students there, I know this sounds slightly annoying, but have some paperwork regarding feedback. Maybe you have a pre-survey and a post-survey. That can be digital, however you want to set it up, or that could be a handout. And as long as you come up with this and start talking to those faculty staff members, you can say, hey, this is what we are looking at. This is the information we've collected. People are interested. The other question I had is it seems that you're, I don't know if I'm antisocial. It might just be that I work <laughs> in a lot of different departments, but I don't see like a large communication venue for a lot of students or it might exist, but I'm just not part of it. And it made it sound like I posted this on Facebook to start to talk to all the bio students. How did y'all set that up? Did you just kind of say, oh, it's available and invite everyone in the department? Or was that kind of a channel already available when you got here? Do you mean in terms of how we started the organization? Yes, because it okay. said like it was posted on Facebook. Yeah. Is anybody interested? Was yeah. that an already available resource or yeah. did you set that up as well? Okay. Yeah, so that was an already available resource. Um, our university has a, um, I think it's a Facebook group that is just called University Graduate Students um, for our university in particular. So that was what that's where Kaylee posted for the first time, but it's pretty telling that the only people that answered her were people that knew her already, so other mm -hmm. biology students. Um, and what was really hard in the beginning, our first semester and even our second semester, we really only had graduate students from the biology department that were interested in being part of the group. And only after we had stats and it could actually show how successful we were and also broaden our message to these other departments, and also they were getting used to hearing from us yeah. <laughs> at this time. Um, then they then we started getting a lot more people interested, especially when we could start telling them, hey, as a graduate student, you can be part of the science communication organization. You can volunteer your time, which, of course, graduate students here volunteer your time <laughs> and start running away. But then we say stuff like, hey, have you ever written a grant? Have you ever had to write out the broader impact statement for your grant? Guess what? This science communication organization absolutely fits within that. And so now that we're getting that message out, now we have representative members from every science department in our building, which is six, plus some in business and entrepreneurship, as well as a mathematician. So mm -hmm. we're getting there. And you want to have those broader impact statements. And that's something that you as a graduate student can respect and appreciate, as well as your department, your PI, and the university as its whole. Because a lot of these large funding organizations look for that, as in how are we reaching out? How are we going to get this message and information across to the general public? And that is a great way to promote your organization. If you can find a way to work that into what you're trying to start, that is the great foundation to lay it on top of. Yeah, because then it's not just people, just graduate students that are interested in science communication and doing science communication, but it, it broadens it to graduate students who are trying to write grants for broader impacts. And then not only is there a drive from the graduate students to join the organization, but their advisors might actually be pushing them to join as well. Or, well, maybe not pushing, but suggesting yes. he heavily. Heavily suggesting. <laughs> Please join. <laughs> <laughs> Here are our top tips and tricks for dealing with bureaucracy. So our first one is don't reinvent the wheel, uh, which also means do your research. So there might be other organizations that are already doing something about the topic you're interested in. So um, some graduate schools actually have graduate student associations or societies. So you may be able to join that and do some good from within. Um, or you can ask them for help in planning an event that you would like to plan. 
and you can find their website and read about them and save yourself a ton of work. The next step would be to work as a team. This is not a single person's effort. If you're trying to change the world, you cannot do it alone. So with that, you should always ask for help when you need it, particularly with those who have experience. And that's, again, going back to not reinventing the wheel. You should always ask for help if it's absolutely necessary, or even if it's not, because there's always someone who's going to have more experience than you. Yeah, and then when you ask for help because you have suddenly a pressing research project, you know, you have this team that you can ask their help and you can get your research done and then you can jump back into it when you can. It's also important to see if you can get faculty staff on board with you. If you have an idea that you think someone higher up would approve, then you want to have, again, that support that you need to get it passed up the ranks. Yeah, and it might be that their like your actual department has a graduate student society of some sort and a lot of those actually have a faculty sponsor. Um, Or maybe your program has a a faculty member that's kind of in charge of of making sure it's working properly, so like a graduate program director. Um, These are all people that would be good to get in contact with. So the third tip we have is make your plan of attack. So like Zach was saying earlier, this might be in the form of a proposal. And in that proposal, you want to make sure you know the answer to the question that I personally get asked all the time when I have new ideas. What's the ask? What are you asking for? Make it really clear, um, and that'll be helpful. And also make your proposals as short as possible. There's a lot of people who have to see this or see this proposal in its own form, and make sure you've refined it enough that you can get the point across as soon as possible. Yeah, so in your proposal, you might have... Uh, a few paragraphs explaining explaining what you're asking for. Uh, but you might also have a budget if that's what you're asking for. Or if you're asking for time, you might have a calendar of events. I would always recommend a budget. Yes, budgets are good. And also when it comes to the plan of attack, you know, don't only think about what you want, but what they want, because then it'll make it really easy for them to say yes. That's the whole That's the whole idea when you're trying to deal with bureaucracy and you want to get something done and you want to change STEM culture, which we're assuming you do since you're listening, um, then you really want to make it easy for them to say yes. You want it to be mutually beneficial for both you and those who are supporting you. Yeah. So for all those bio nerds out there, mutualism. I'm a chemist. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I made that (laughs) joke earlier and that's why it's written down. I know I stole it from Our next tip is to be polite and professional. And you want to remember that bureaucracy can move slowly. There are some of those who are involved that really want to move things quickly and they'll get it done. Like Danny mentioned, it took maybe a meeting or two and then within a week an organization was founded. There are some of those that this might have to go through multiple chains of command in order for you to be successful. So you have to be polite and professional the entire time and do not jump that chain. You can ruin your chances by jumping the chain of command. And so you want to make sure you're going from the bottom all the way to the top to make sure you're successful all along the way. And think of it this way. Bureaucracy moves slowly, but it moves even slower if you're an asshole. Amen to that. And lastly. You're going to make mistakes, and it's going to be okay. I can tell you I have personally made many mistakes. And in the end, I've had to, and it takes time, but not take it personally and really learn from it. So if I wrote an email and it ended up coming off rude, um, you know, I can learn from that and learn exactly how to write an email where it's clear what I want. Anyway, you can learn from your mistakes and that's okay. And that 
that's also coming back to our our second point about working in a team. You can help each other learn from your mistakes. You know, oh, what went wrong here with this interaction? Could you read this email? Was it that? And then y'all can help each other. Or better yet, before you send that email, have someone else read it because you know how you sound to yourself and it might not sound rude, but I've been told I've been very sarcastic a lot, mainly in my teaching reviews. So <laughs> that's that's where you want to have that uh, secondary check of, does this come off inappropriate or rude? I want to make sure that I approach this with the most professionalism available and possible for me. Yep. All right, Zach. So I would like you to share with us, what's the best success you've had with bureaucracy and the worst failure you've had? So my best successes have probably been those workshops. And I know I've kind of talked about, I've done other things, I swear. It's just, (laughs) those are the kind of the larger things that take a large amount of effort to put together, and I'm talking like the president with my hands everywhere. Uh, (laughs) So I've been most proud of those workshops because it takes a lot of effort to coordinate all of those people being in the same location at once. Uh, For the kind of the end of year, end of your graduate career, going on to lecture positions, that's a two-day workshop. And a lot of the time it would require five fellows working alongside to get this done. And I'm proud to say that even though I've left that department that I was working with, it has carried on for the past year or two without me being there. And that's something I'm really proud of being something that's been continued over and over again. And I hope the STEM TA training does the same. I don't know if I'm going to be here in the fall for that, but I'm hoping someone who is either taking my position or those who are already not staying behind, but those that are already gone through it will stay and pick up the slack when I leave. And that might be my responsibility, and it is my responsibility to make sure that that carries on. As for my failures, that first year teaching workshop took me four years to get off the ground. After my first year of teaching here, having that experience, because I taught for four years in undergrad, I didn't give lectures, I was a teaching assistant, and that's the same position I hold here. And so for that, I had the experience. I knew how to communicate with students. I knew how to give a quick lecture on the board, give a demonstration, how to grade and stay on top of it. But everybody else coming in or a lot of people coming in had no idea how to do that. And to fix that, I wanted to do this workshop. One of the benefits was that my own department asked me to do this teaching training a year prior to this workshop taking place. However, I wanted to have that broader impact of everyone needs this training It just took me so long to get it off the ground. And a lot of that had to do with timing. And we'll kind of discuss that in a moment. But what have been been your biggest successes and failures? All right. So my best success, we just got confirmation today that it worked. But for our science communication organization, uh, we were putting so much time into it. And there's um, three of the the um, co-founders have put in this time so much time. We calculated it since the inception, and it's almost 600 hours of time that we've put into this organization, um, the three of us combined. And I honestly was kind of desperate for some extra cash because I don't have a roommate this semester. And I thought, is there any way we could make these a paying position? Because there is a lot of extra work we did the three co-founders do uh, in order to keep this organization moving forward and, and growing. Um, maybe there's a way to make these paying positions so that this organization continues after we leave. Um, so we actually targeted three different organizations within our university or maybe not organizations, um, departments, um, and not necessarily like a biology department, but other departments um, within the university as a whole. 
And we sent them letters saying, hey, we've worked almost 600 hours. We're doing this thing that specifically answers your mission statement saying that you want to support this. We should meet and talk about helping fund our organization. And after working on that this whole semester and working on our approach and our proposals um, and working together as a team, uh, we found some money that wasn't being used. And we then connected with the graduate school and said, hey, we found this money that is not being used. And they've agreed to split it among the three of us to pay us for five hours of work every week in regards to this science communication organization. And the graduate school said, cool. That's awesome. Obviously, they love it because they don't have to put out money for it. But then we were like, wait. There's more. <laughs> wait, we would also like you to look at this budget and fund this budget every year. And they said yes to that, too. So that has been by far the the, the greatest success. As for the failure, um, really the, the worst failures are either no answer or just no, not interested. Um, but I will give something a little bit more specific to that. So um, and I think this might have been a couple years ago now. Uh, I was feeling uh, a lot of feelings, <laughs> um, as you can imagine, in, in uh, 2016. And um, I got really frustrated and I thought, hey, maybe I can help my department and maybe all of the STEM departments if I go through the internet and find these articles that are specifically about how it is to be a woman or an underrepresented minority in STEM, especially as it's related to sexual harassment. I can find these articles online. I can curate them. I can give little summaries about each and every article. And then I emailed them to every chair and graduate program director in our building that's related to STEM, which is literally all of them. And I got zero answers. That was very disheartening. Oh, actually, I lied. I got one answer that was a thank you. <laughs> but the person cool. that answered, I know, the person that answered and said thank you, I actually knew them. But none of the other chairs and graduate program directors responded because they don't know me. And what are they supposed to do with that information? I had said in my email, oh, well, maybe you guys can share this with your faculty and staff. But they're not going to read that. That's extra time, you know. So this was two years ago. It wasn't the best hatched plan. Um, but as you can imagine, I was really frustrated. And it's still something I haven't quite figured out how to address, except that, you know, as I'm thinking about it or as I've been thinking about it the last six months, maybe it's something that would be better where it's a seminar. So we invite a speaker that will speak on these subjects and people that want to engage with it will come. And so really it's... I mean, is it a failure? Yes, but nobody screamed at me. No. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, nobody's ever screamed at me for me coming forth with an idea. Um, I've never been censured for coming forth with ideas. Um, it's just either a no or no answer. So you can do it. And on that note of just kind of cold emailing somebody, for an experience of that is, and, and with mine, is I've changed positions a few times within the university, and in doing so, I'm the new face that no one knows. And in order for people to really start working with me, I have to be introduced by somebody who knows everybody else. And so because of that, I will be introduced by my boss or higher up than that saying, this is Zach, this is his new responsibility. He is replacing this person who previously had this position. We expect him to coordinate and they just essentially give them my job description again. And that's something that you would like 
to kind of be the foundation of that? And like, how would you do that over again if you were to, not necessarily the workshop, but if you wanted to contact those department chairs, how would you do that? What would you do different this time? So that's a really good question. Um, I, I think primarily I would try and approach them from one of my organizations. So I could say, I'm Danny and I'm emailing you on behalf of like women in science and engineering. Um, and we are we want to know if you would be interested in meeting with us, probably on a, a like a one to one uh, meeting where we can discuss this and see if they're interested in coming to, let's say I did want to do like a seminar speaker. Um, hey, we have someone coming to speak on intersectionality, and I would really like you specifically to invite everyone in your department to come to that. And, you know, are you interested in having that conversation? Um, so, yeah, I think definitely coming from a specific organization and being like, hi, I am this person. But especially now it's been two years. I think all the chairs know me by now because I'm very irritating and persistent. Um, and so and at this point. the first step. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm sure they see my name and they're like, ah, this bitch again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But having having them know who I am now does make a lot of stuff easier. But yeah, definitely using your contacts and and coming from like, I am coming to you from this position of being a graduate student within this organization. Are you interested in talking with me? And especially when it's just an email to one person, Um, I think it's a lot more directed. And one of the important steps also is if you're coming speak as somebody speaking on behalf of an organization, make sure that organization knows you're sending that email. So if there are multiple, if you're the head of that organization and no one else questions you, then by all means, shoot that email on the benefit of everyone there. But if there are multiple people involved, like say your departmental wide organization, then Mm -hmm. you need to say, I'm coming to you on behalf of all of us. We've had a meeting give your credentials and give the clout behind your statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Never just say, I have the access to this email account. I'm going to send an angry email. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful with how you speak. And again, it comes to that professionalism and politeness. If you burn a bridge, there is no rebuilding that one unless you've got a lot of second chances and people to back you up. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll say one other thing. Um, Sometimes, well, not sometimes, a lot of times emails are very easy to ignore. And so instead of asking someone to respond to an email, you can actually ask them for a meeting instead. Hi, I would like to meet with you about this subject on behalf of whatever organization. Um, Are you available this and this date? Mm -hmm. And depending on if you know the person or not, (laughs) you might actually just be able to be like, hi, I made um, a meeting for us and I checked your schedule. You're free at this time. So we're meeting now. (laughs) You're not free anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So that's another good step is particularly if you're trying to schedule a meeting, it's probably best to provide your availability first. Yes. And just say, do any of these times work with you? Never ask, what are you available for? Just say, I'm available for these times. Do any of these work for you? Yeah. And then hopefully you can match it up. Uh, For universities that use online calendars or faculty members that use online calendars, it's really great to go in and say, hey, I'm interested in making an appointment. Are you available in these time slots? I've already confirmed that with your Mm -hmm. calendar. Granted, there's sometimes I forget to add things to my calendar, and that just means I'm not going to show up. Sorry. Yeah. It's not your fault. It's mine. So So with all that being said, you know, we really do hope that you want to change grad student culture and STEM culture with us. And and for us, these tactics have worked. Um, And again, the worst that's ever happened is 
somebody ignoring me, which personally I, I need so much attention. So <laughs> <laughs> someone ignoring me um, is bad enough for me. Um, but if you have other tips and tricks for us, you can let us know on Twitter and our email account. Thanks so much for listening. Next time, we'll introduce our first in the In STEM series, Disabilities and Learning Differences in STEM. This series is meant to portray stories of people who are frequently underrepresented in STEM so we can all learn about different experiences. You can find us on Twitter at stemculture, one word, or email us at stemculturepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing, please rate us on iTunes to help more people interested in improving STEM culture find us. If you'd like to support us, you can find our Patreon on our website, plus show notes, articles to stimulate, and links to our YouTube channel of transcribed shows at stemculturepodcast.com. Until next time, don't forget to consensually hug a grad student or at least buy them a coffee. A dung beetle walks into a bar and says, excuse me, is this stool taken? (laughs) Bathroom humor. (laughs) 